Welcome to the All Walks of Art podcast. This is Mike Worth. I am with Paul Ramey. Good to see you. Good to be seen. I tell you what, we we are uh, we're rushing it today. It's Easter. We're uh, kind of running around doing our thing, and uh, I mowed the grass real quick before you showed up. As a matter of fact, I was mowing grass when you showed up, and when I mow grass, I drink. So, of course, when I do everything, I drink. <laughs> So you already got you got started without me. Today. Yeah, yeah. I've only I've only had one though, so you know I'll probably only have one. More. One big one. But I wanted to introduce you to a Guinness. We'll bring that up in a minute. But for the listeners today, we're going to talk about two different things. We're going to talk about your space as an artist, and we're going to talk about essentialism. I think those are two incredibly important topics uh, that artists may or may not be thinking about. Maybe they do it unintentionally but uh you know if your space isn't good it's not good if you're not looking at the essentials probably not so good either um and i'm thinking essentialism in terms of how a minimalist thinks about it or um an author by the name of greg mccown he uh, i met him i didn't actually meet him i learned of him through a uh youtuber minimalist filmmaker uh, Matt Diavella. So it's uh, quite interesting. I've done a little bit. I, I purchased a book. I haven't started reading the book yet, but uh, I'm, I'm quite interested in it. So without further ado, uh, we shall get started. Paul, have yeah. you ever had a Guinness? It seems like I have tasted a Guinness uh, many years ago. Cool. It's got some kind of weird plastic thing you're not supposed to eat inside yeah, yeah. the can. Yeah, there's, uh, there's actually two different kinds of Guinness that are available in cans and bottles here in the United States. Um, sometimes we get a third version, which is a foreign extra stout, but we won't go that route. Uh, today, I just want to talk about draft and the other one. What's, what is the other one? <laughs> the other one is the extra stout. So most people around here, and I'm not picking on people at all, I just... You know, when I when I go through a drive through I say, hey, you got to get us draft. They look at you and go, you mean the drought? <laughs> yeah, it's Queen's English draft. <laughs> D-R-A-U-G-H. I thought it was drought. Drought, yeah. <laughs> drought. Anyway, these are 16-ounce uh, cans. I love the cans because, uh, again, locally when I go to get a, a Guinness, uh, sometimes it'll come out of a keg at the bar and somebody will pour it and it's just terrible. I'm kind of a beer snob and I like my Guinness. It's, it's my, my go-to everyday beer. Um, yeah, you know, you know how much of a snob I am. So yeah. yeah I, I can't I'm aware. Way. It says it's best enjoyed poured into a glass. It tells it, you right on there. It tells you right on there. Yeah. I don't know why people just, you know, so I'm going to show you, of course the reader, the listeners at home can't see. I'm going to show you how I pour two regular pints of cans of 16 ounce pints into a 22 ounce or an imperial pint of, well, imperial pint glass. You ready for this? Yeah, let's do this. All right. So we, we pre-showed this just a little bit so he would know. And then I promise I haven't had anything. So uh, my pour is going to be the first pour. And I need you to crack your beer. At the same time I do mine, just take a quick shot and set it back down. All right. All right. Ready? Yep. Actually, what he doesn't know is I'm getting him drunk before he even gets started. So anyway, so you pour this first one. You just really get it in there and you you go with it until it's like really kind of a vigorous, vigorous pour. If you can hear that, that's the widget inside the can. This is so much fun for me. I'm such a nerd. And then the, the other can we use to top it off, bring the, the head proud of the glass and we let it surge. My uh, my friend Fergal Murray would be proud of me right now. Probably not. He doesn't know who I am. It looks nice. It does. We got we got a little bit uh, froggy on the eyes on the top there, but uh, it looks like anything. Actually, again, I'm picking on my locality. It looks a little bit better than anything I'd pick up locally from the bar. So, at any rate, that is how you pour a proper pint of Guinness. From a can. Looks, that looks looks good. Looks, looks pretty good, yeah. Now, you don't have to drink all that, I promise. Um, for those of you listening, Paul's not really a beer drinker, and I force this on him every time. I'm kind of, like I said, I'm a bad influence. 
It's just the way it's it fun is. to try. Now, is it going to taste different now than what it did when I took that shot out of the can? No, but please don't drink it like an American. Drink through the head. Just when you take a swig, just just get a swig. Don't don't don't. You know what I mean? Don't don't lip it. <laughs> I'll do my best. I'm such a snob. Every one of our listeners just said, "I'm done." What? Listen, to this guy, he's a twerp. <laughs> Let's try this. Let's see what happens. All right, all right. Go. I'm going to pour mine real quick, too. Right. I'm going into a uh, different kind of glass. Uh, it's still 22 ounces, but um, and it's an imperial-style pint glass, but it's not a tulip glass, so I'm breaking some rules here. That's not terrible. <laughs> I went through it, though, and it got on me. Kind of cool. <laughs> So I, I don't, ha- I don't hate that. No, it's, it's not bad. I don't like it, but I don't hate it. Yeah. It's, it's not an IPA. Obviously it's not like really hoppy or anything. It's in fact, it's only calories wise. It's only about as much as a, a glass of orange juice. Really? So, yeah. So it's not, it's not, you know, going to kill your, um, whatever you want to call it. But so for the listeners that are still sticking around and hopefully you grabbed a tasty little beverage of, of your own and you, you got a little giggle out of us pouring a couple cans of Guinness into our, our glassware. It's getting darker. It is. It looks really good from here. Um, tasty. Yeah. Once the surge goes down, it's, it's fairly good. Huh, interesting. Um, there's kind of a underlying agenda I have with this beer. We prepared first. We had some cans. We had some the proper glasses. We had the proper amount of beer on the table before we started. We had a plan. We had a plan. And I'm thinking to myself, this ties in really good with having a place to work. You know how easy that was? We poured two really good glasses of beer, and we had minimal materials to do what we had to do. So essentialism comes into play and having stuff. So whenever I'm in a rut... We'll talk about that first. This this question comes in from uh, my friend Jeremy. He asked, uh, I'm going to read his actually. Let me pull my man glasses, my old man glasses down here so I can read the, the text a little bit better. I'm so old. I, I got to get I gotta get new glasses. Yeah, right? it's, just, that's painfully obvious right yeah. now. Uh, wow. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> says, how about you and your guest handle breaking out of a rut? mental roadblocks, et cetera, or techniques for creating spaces that best keep creativity flowing. That came out from Jeremy. I appreciate the the question, Jeremy. Helps us get ideas at the last minute that we don't think about. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's tough. How do you do it? Um, It's pretty easy for me. Uh, I get really inspired by different instruments. So it just it, looking at just strictly as a bassist, um, if I just if I pick up a bass that I haven't played in a long time, or or I'm primarily a twelve string bassist and a five string bassist, but I'll pick up a four string and do something. Um, certain instruments just lend themselves to open strings or mm-hmm. certain keys. It just mm-hmm. kind of brings it out of it. Um, if if I'm hitting the wall in that way, or if I'm just keep doing the same thing, you know, on a certain instrument, I'll, I'll try that different tuning mm-hmm. that helps a lot yeah it gets you over right it um, makes you think differently the, the thing is for me musically a lot of it to get me out of a rut is my you know the tools i'm using mm-hmm. i change the tools i'm using um lyrically um it might just be trying to think of approaching it a different way i, I write a lot from uh the gut and subconscious you know just whatever comes out i like right. to just start singing and seeing what the song is about. But if that's not working or if I just keep doing the same thing over again, I might try to, I might try to tell a story this mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, might that's try hilarious. to, uh, you know, just see if I'm inspired by a, a movie or a book or, or something, if something in that, I mean, I've, I've written a few songs that were, um, you know, about comic book characters, but yeah. it's not so obvious. Right. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's how I do it. Uh, to me, I don't know. Does uh, does certain brushes make you do things different, or certain canvases just uh, from uh, a from a painter 
standpoint? You know, it's no, probably, yeah. probably not. I think an artist, and this may be true with all creatives. I think, I think we have cycles, you know, sometimes you just need Definitely. to, you know, maybe you're in a downward cycle and you're just not feeling it like you were before. And you kind of look at it and go, well, you know what? I, I, maybe I just need to relax a little bit, do something else, pick up a different guitar, uh, write a different kind of song maybe. And, and as far as me as a painter goes, sometimes I just need to get away from the easel. Um, I, I, it's been months since I picked up the paintbrush and worked on that maker's mark painting that's behind you. But, um, it doesn't mean I'm not wanting to paint. So sometimes I'll, I'll work on a drafting table. I, I actually do paintings on the drafting table too. So I don't need the easel and I've got a spare easel. I can get out if I need it. Does that make a difference? Does that, does your approach, if you're doing something on the easel table or you're doing yeah. something over there, does that change? Yeah, sometimes it does. Um, to, to some degree. I don't really know how to explain it. Um, it may have a little bit of an effect on how I approach the painting or how painterly I want to be when I paint. Uh, I tend to, when I'm at the drafting table working, I tend to be a little tighter and I work a little more detailed than what I would at the canvas uh, that's on an easel. So why is that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's just the commanding part of it. You know, when you're, when you're, for a lot of us who paint on easels, you know, we'll back up and we'll look at it and then we'll walk up to it and, and attack it, so to speak, you know, and, and do different things. You're, you're, you have a little bit more command when you're standing and it, it's just like when you're talking to somebody else, if you're wanting to negotiate something, the last thing you want to do is be sitting in the seat while the other guy's talking down to you standing up. It's, it's a psychology of, of just command. Right. So Maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't know. Uh, I see a lot of people on Instagram sitting on the floor, you know, painting with their picture right up against the the wall, you know, and it almost feels a little bit more staged for Instagram. Maybe it is. I don't know. It's uh, something that it's almost a pet peeve for mine. <laughs> I'll see it. And I'm like, really? It's why are you posing? You know, right? <laughs> I don't know. Um you know, I, I think I think as far as a rut back to the the cycle thing, I think we kind of have to let that happen. It's an ebb and flow kind of a thing. You know, you're you're just you're not on it all the time. I think you kind of have to have a place where you're, you know, building up new ideas and and getting excited about it again. I, I wouldn't call it a rut. I think sometimes we as creatives, all of us, uh, musicians, painters, everybody, I think sometimes we forget that that downtime is also regeneration time. It's also, let's think of new ideas. Let's relax a little bit. Let our brain think. Gain a new experience. Yeah. To, yeah. To, you know, birth out the next project. Absolutely. And then when you come into the studio, you're, you have more uh, vigor, you know, you're ready to go and you're, you just want to get at it. Um, I mean, for crying out loud, how boring would it be if all you did was write music and go to the studio every single day? Right. Eventually, what would you write gonna, about? Yeah, eventually you're going to want to go play, you know, and get in front of people. And I think that works for everybody. So getting getting out of a rut, I think we need to be careful with calling it a rut, first of all. And second of all, I think one of the best ways to get out of a rut is get yourself in your creative space and get away from everybody else and do what you do best, you know. Uh, looking at a blank page, I know uh, I've heard a few people say, well, what, how do you write your blogs? You know, <laughs> when you got to write your blog, do you have a topic in mind? Do you already have it outlined? And, you know, some people do that. Um, and maybe, maybe the quality of mine reflects this, but a lot of times I'll sit down with nothing, just like we do these podcasts. I'll sit down virtually with nothing and just let it build from there. It's a lot of improvisation. Um, I'll just start typing words, things, you know, I'll start typing, typing things out that, uh, what does it sound like outside? What does it look like outside? What do I feel like? You know, and I delete a lot of that. You never see it, but it, it starts the process. Right. And it goes the same way with painting. You know, I might pick up a piece of paper and a pencil and just doodle and it leads to something else. So 
Um, I've gotten really good, I think, at not allowing the idea of not wanting to paint or not wanting to make art uh, not keep me from doing it. I have a routine now where it's like, I don't care if you don't want to do it. Just open the door, go in the studio, shut the door and make art. You know, it's, yeah. You know, some people might think of that as a job, but I know that once I get in here, I'm happy. Oh, I think that can work for a lot of people, but maybe not everybody. Yeah. Um, I think it just depends on, on the person, but I think that can be a good way to, if you're, it's just like anything else, as long as you're exercising that muscle, you know, oh, at yeah. least the potential for something to come out. If you're just waiting for it all the time, there's no potential for anything to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. So do you have a space in your house? Yeah. To, uh, I mean, I kind of knew the answer to that, but. Uh, yeah. I got two spaces. I got my, I got a space in my basement, which is kind of like my home studio. Um, it's also where my bands practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I do a lot of writing, a lot of, uh, you know, I've called it sketch padding mm-hmm. on my couch. I got a couple acoustics upstairs, got a couple bases, sit there with my f- little program on my phone to record mm-hmm. and, you know, record. Re- I got, I mean, I've got hundreds of little snippets of stuff and some of it's been turned into songs. Some of it I've forgotten about, but it's there, you right. know, you, yeah. you gotta, you gotta record everything. Cause you just, you never know when something good right. is going to come out. And, um, but my, you know, my basement studio, if I go down there, it's a different mindset. I'm getting serious. I'm going to mm. lay something down or I'm going to try something at full volume and see what, see how this works. But it kind of gets you, you know, it gets you in the mood and I have everything's ready to go. All I got is fired up. So right. I don't have, we kind of touch on that, you know, on the last podcast, if, if you spend a lot of time setting things up, absolutely, you run the risk of, of bogging your, your moment down, you yeah. know? And yeah. then by the time you've plugged everything in and got ready to, to make something, you're, you're tired. You're, you're thinking about something. You're thinking about technical stuff. You're not thinking about creating. Right, and I, I fit, we, we got to do as much as we can to get out of our own way. Yes, that's yeah, yeah. That's if you're important. All your time setting up, it's just you right. might be burning through the good time, and, and that's why sometimes it's probably good just to on a little eight by ten pad to to do a, a pencil sketch or uh, use your phone to capture a, a thought or a, a moment or a riff because you're out of your own way and you're just yeah. as simple as possible. I think is the best way to do it. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, I remember as a drummer playing in different bands, if I packed my drums back and forth, it was actually not as good for me as if I had drums there. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, it, it, you, you burn through that moment of, I've, I've got the excitement just showing up and playing to, uh, it becomes laborious to set this up. Now, if you have a, a tech or something, that's probably great, right. but you know, most of us don't have text. Even then, you don't want to wait on that. I mean, it's, yeah. you're you're burning up valuable time. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, uh, I, I talked about this in in my recent blog post. You know, essentialism comes to play here. You know, you can have twenty or thirty guitars, and you like, I mean, really like three or four of them, right? Hopefully you'd like more than that, <laughs> but, but if the, the one you where you're really, at, yeah. yeah, you really love them. And, and I hate to say favorites cause that's not really the word I'm trying to find here, but at some level, these are the ones that do the job. They get the job done 80% of the time, right? Those three. Right. And at work we, we do a lot of, uh, they like to use 80% as a, as a metric for a lot of different things where we work and uh, tech time when we're looking at, you know, from this point to that point, how much work can get done between those two points? How much time does it take? They want to, they want to put the operator at 80%. So they, they have exactly what they need when they need it to do the best job they can. Right. Right. To me, that really rings of essentialism. We call it in the manufacturing environment lean. And I, I don't want to bring too much of our work into this creative podcast because what we do really isn't in the same 
area, although we can both be creative at work uh, if we want to be, but I, I think it's really important to understand that as a creative, if you, if you have the right equipment in front of you all the time, that too can help you with your ruts and your downtime and things like that. But no doubt. at the same time, essentialism is going to get all the crap out of your way so you can be what you are. So if you're a painter and you're fiddle farting with all this other stuff all the time, you know, trying to go through, uh, let's say you have uh, 30 or 40 different tubes of paint, you know, can you narrow it down to seven that you use all the time and you become a master at those seven? Because essentially those are the seven that make your art. I said that really Irish like must be <laughs> must be the Guinness. <laughs> it must be the Guinness. Anyway, but it it must you know you know what I'm saying. I'm I'm feeling you. So I I think I think it's important that we we cut ourselves down. So this book I got, I really wish I'd have been able to get into it before now. I I'm a book whore, honestly. <laughs> I, I love books. Uh, I'm I'm in the middle of reading one right now by. Uh, Seth Godin, where he talks, it's a market, it's one of his newer marketing books. Um, and I want to get finished with that one before I get started with Greg McCown's book on essentialism, but I'm going to see if I can find the actual information I'm trying to share here. I'm, I'm so unprepared for this today and I apologize. Um, while I'm doing that, Paul, tell me, tell me a little bit about in your history of practice with bands, what has led to the most creative moments? Um, <coughs> you're, you're probably your best practices, you know, meaning, meaning like, Hey, I remember, I really remember that practice with that one band. And I, that was, that was, we really nailed it that day, you know, really think about something like that. And for a moment, just think about the equipment that you had, you know, the the sound gear, the drummer, the mics, the you know, just think essential here. Tell me about it. That's an interesting question. Um, hmm. I can think of a couple really, and it was all just our typical stuff, you know, typical, you know, two guitar players, drummer, bassist, and just everybody vibing, writing songs in the studio or in the practice room recording it with a little boom box hooked mm -hmm. up to a radio shack mic just to capture <laughs> really? capture the moment <laughs> and um there was one you could ask ryan about it he'll t he'll say the same thing we were just down there met goofing around and riff popped out and the pretty much the entire song was written right there on the spot oh wow ended really? up on our on our second album you know wallow that really? was on on the Millennia Records, yeah, you know, from way back. Um, sometimes it just happens like that. I'm trying yeah. to think if there was any, you know, a lot of MG Flash stuff that we've done has been um, just jamming, man, just with yeah. just our equipment, just our regular stuff, same stuff we use live yeah. for the most part. Just getting together, plugging in, everything's all set up already, you know, and uh, just hey, let's just jam around today, and and there's a lot of days you do that and you throw a lot of stuff to the wall, none yeah. of it sticks. And then there's some days, man, that, that was cool. And let's, let's listen back to it and see whether, yeah, we got something there, Yeah, you know, save it and, you know, revisit it next week. Or sometimes, you know, Ryan or Carl will listen to it over and again and, and they'll really be excited about it. And, mm -hmm. and you know, Ryan and come back with lyrics, you know, that, Hey, this is going to be something, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, but, you build on it but I can, yeah. I can think of a couple of practices like that. Like I said, way back, even in the nineties with our, with our, you know, our heavy band, it's just, it's just three or four guys just hanging out and just doing it with no agenda just to jam. And then something, you know, magical, a riff happen, And yeah. the, the other guy's got a riff that works with it. Somebody starts spouting off some vocals and just know, you know, it, it's just, it's weird. It's, you can't, it, you know, it's like seeing Bigfoot. If you're yeah, not there, yeah. you can't really explain it. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably maybe even this, this whole topic range of, <laughs> of getting out of your rut and essentialism combined. I don't, I don't want to make it. 
I really don't want to make this too simplified either. Uh, we, we've all heard it. I'm, I'm sure you listening and, and both of us have heard it. Minimalism is kind of a fad for a lot of people. I'm a terrible minimalist. I want to be a good minimalist, you know, but we hoard things. We have a lot of things in the house. You know, my garage is filled with things I don't need. Uh, my attic space is filled with things I don't need. And so is my basement. But for some reason, I got to have it. You know, it's it belonged to grandma, it belonged to mom and dad, you know, whatever it might be. But none of it really carries any happiness. And um, I don't really want to say it that way either because some of it does. Some of well, it's the just thing is now it. is does it spark joy? If it doesn't spark joy, <laughs> right. you're supposed to get rid of it. Right. <laughs> I mean, to me, minimalism is not an empty house with one chair and a bamboo plant in a little cup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I, I'm not picking on anybody. If you're a minimalist and you're listening and you do it very extreme, I think it's great. Um, I think as creatives though, if you're in the music industry or you make art like a sculpture or you paint or something like that, I think it's very difficult to come to terms with being a minimalist. And that's really why I, I kind of fell in love with this Greg McCown uh, topic and this book. Um, wow, the print is so small. He he calls it the disciplined pursuit of less, and I love that. I want to I want to basically say it that way: the disciplined pursuit of less. Um, it it ties in really good with minimalism, but there's if you add a little bit of discipline to it. Let's say you're an artist like me and you paint. Do you need an entire set of graphite pencils from HB all the way to 9B? Or would an HB, 4B, and 7B be enough? You know, those three pencils. You know, how bad do you need that 6B when you've already got a 7B? And, and you start really thinking about how even in buying your materials, can you be more efficient with the price if you focus on these colors, these pencils, these brushes, and get really, I mean, like damn good at what you use versus grabbing a little bit of everything. And and that's where essentialism comes in to me as an artist. It's um, keep, keep the framing the same size. You know, focus on 8 by 10 through 24 by 36 don't spend a lot of time with the non-standard sizes because you're just, you're stocking stuff that you don't need because a, a 16 by 20 is good. Use it. You know, it's, it already exists. It's a common frame size. You know, don't, don't go to 18 by 37 because it looks good. I, I, I don't really know. I mean, yeah, you need to crop things to be specific, but at the same time, if you learn to start seeing in those ratios, I think you're going to, as an artist, I think you're going to be able to figure it out. Um, I, I am more productive now than I ever was as an artist prior to, prior to now. Uh, I have a smaller space than I've ever had. <laughs> right. Uh, this, this spare bedroom in my house is, is really when I'm, we first moved out here, I was like, I'm kind of depressed. This is not going to be good. I'm not going to make enough art. Uh, it sucks, you know? And I was really worried that, uh, you know, I went from a basement at my old house that was uh, 12 by 24. I had plenty of room for movement. I had a desk upstairs and I had a spare bedroom upstairs for even more stuff to work on. So I had a frame shop. I had a, you know, a place to paint, place to draw, uh, place to sit at the computer. And I had to cram all that into a 144 square foot space. I actually do framing in here. You know, I, the desk I'm using right now is designed not only to be my computer desk, but to be a place for me to put frame material when I'm framing. Cause everything on my, as, as you can see, the folks at home can't see, but, um, as you can see that I'm using a Bluetooth keyboard, and some uh, a laptop. I've always used a laptop. Some of this stuff's new since uh, since Paul's been here, and it, apparently I got a little bit of Guinness on my keyboard. <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> so it happens. But all of this can be moved and put away. And when I go to frame, it's just a matter of 
putting the frame, uh, the mat cutter over where I need it. I buy my frames now, uh, pre pre cut, pre built. You know, it's it's easy that way. You call somebody up, say, hey, I need a sixteen by twenty of this frame style. It's done. So, I I want to paint. I don't be a framer. Right. I will say the light's better in here than it was in your basement. It is much better. Yeah. Um, it's peaceful out here too. I mean, we've got the highway nearby makes a lot of noise. And once, once the trees grow up, it, uh, we won't really be able to hear the road as much, but it's, it's nice just having this much space. You know, I got a 15 acre cemetery beside me a 9,000 acre, um, state park behind us. And we're sitting on seven acres here, and I'm I'm a I'm a good I'm a tenth of a mile to a quarter of a mile from my other neighbor down the road, and across the highway we got a couple people, but again can't hear them four lane highway. Right. So it's it's nice, it's peaceful. Um, I'm not hardly ever in a rut. I do have my slow times, things like that. So I I hope I'm getting some of this across to other people who are listening. That <clears throat> it's normal to have slow. <coughs> moments and ruts and you know i th- i think we need to be careful of calling it a rut because uh, it leads to a depression of hey i'm not creating anything i must suck and i don't think that's fair well if it's not an extended rut or you know a block even it's uh it should be welcomed yeah. you know and yeah. expected this is this is my like you said earlier this is my recharging time this is yeah. my this is my time to gain new experiences to to that I will reflect in my next piece of art. Absolutely. And, you know, minimalism and essentialism, they don't have to be about stuff. They can be about time. You know, you can minimize the the crap in your life. You know, don't spend time with people you don't like. It's that simple. You know, don't, don't do a job you hate. I'm kind of a hypocrite on this part. I need my job. I like my job. I don't dislike it. I don't, I don't hate it. There's but, a difference and, between, you know, hate like you're talking about and, you know, the difficulty that it yeah. brings sometimes. But yeah, if I was working at, at, at flipping burgers somewhere, I'm not, no offense to anybody flipping burgers, but you have a lot of options. There's, there's probably somebody within a 10th of a mile that's flipping burgers too. And you can go there. So you have to decide, do you hate the job or do you hate the people you work with? Right. And, and for me, a lot of it is just, I'm, I'm not painting all the time. I'm not being, I don't have enough time to create. So that's probably some of my hate, even though I don't hate it. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes total sense to me. Um, But but it's harder to the choir. Right. It's harder for me to find a job that pays what I pay with the insurance that I have and and things like that. So it's kind of a, okay, well, I, I'll see you Monday. You know, <laughs> I've worked jobs that, that I wanted to crash my car into on the way to work every day. I wanted mm-hmm. to crash into the guardrail or mm-hmm. I've literally prayed for a meteor to strike me. Yeah. So, you know, that's a job that you don't need to be working. Yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. That saps your creativity. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, in terms of time, you know, think about your essential time and you're, you're limited. If you do work another job, you're limited on how much time you can throw in there and give to your art in your free time. Cause you're essentially taking your free time as an artist to be an artist, which means you're taking time away from friends and family to make your art. And, uh, that, that can suck. Um, I was watching, uh, Matt Diavella, the filmmaker that I mentioned earlier and Greg McCown talk. Uh, I might put it in the show notes on how to get to that so you can watch it. But um, that, that was a, a common thing is like, you know, you, you got to put a buffer in your life, in your time. And for the longest time I was, I was scheduling everything. I was scheduling when I went to bed, when I fell asleep, when I woke up, when I took a shit, you know, all this stuff. And it was like, I fail every day because I can't do this schedule. I can't sleep four and a half hours a day, go to work, come home, paint, watch 30 minutes of TV. Exactly. Go to bed, 
lay there knowing that it takes me 37 minutes to fall asleep, <laughs> go to sleep, try to get a certain amount of hours of sleep to be awake when the alarm goes off, get up. Life's just not that planned. You know, the things are going to, when you're not looking, life's going to kick you and knock you down. And it does me all the time. I swear to God, karma thinks I'm somebody else. Cause I didn't do anything to, to get what I get from karma. But what was your art like when you were trying this uh, schedule here? Well, for about six months, uh, when I was really heavy on it, I angrily made art. It became a chore. It was no longer, Hey, let's go in the studio and make art. It's, I have to make more money for my family. So I have to paint and it got really bad. And then thankfully in January, uh, I fell into a uh, challenge called the habits of excellence challenge. Um, It was a really, really fun thing. It was basically for 30 days, do something, you choose something for 30 days and you do it. And uh, Levi Allen, he's a filmmaker on the West coast in uh, near he's in Canada. I want to say he's near British Columbia. Not really sure where exactly, but um, he came up with the idea of, of uh, habits of excellence. And I chose to, to paint or draw for a minimum of 90 minutes a day. I thought I can pull that off. It's in my schedule, (laughs) you know, (laughs) And, uh, about two days into it, I was like, I suck, you know, and it got really hard. And the more I pushed it, the more frustrated I became. But then at the same time, I realized that all this other stuff that I do is nonsense. You know, when I come into the studio, I should be prepared to work. It's, it's again, you're looking at what Greg McCown said, uh, when, when he said it's, uh, uh, help me here. The deliberate, what did he say? What do you call it? Cause I'm, I'm actually thinking about it. The, uh, yeah. The, I can't recite uh, it exactly, but um, it was eloquent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The disciplined, you know, I wasn't disciplined. That's what it boils down to. I just wasn't disciplined when I came into the studio. I was like, well, I got my coffee. I'll play artist for the next 90 minutes. No, get the fucking brush and paint. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and the part that I was really getting at, that's when the conflict really came in and it became a, is this work or is this fun? And it messed me up, messed me up really bad. And, uh, I failed, you know, uh, Lisa has a lot of doc. My wife, Lisa has a lot of doctor appointments and, um, that changes the schedule daily. Uh, we share on iCloud or I'm sorry, on iCalendar, we share our, our appointments so that we know what's coming up and whatever. And, it's like, she still reminds me too. It's like, Hey, that we got that appointment Tuesday. It's like, I didn't see it in the calendar. Why am I not seeing this stuff? But, um, it, that's when it really hit me with essentialism. I, I got to put buffer time in there so I can be happy. That's the key. I can't make good art if I'm not happy. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I've just had this conversation with somebody earlier though. I I'm, I am happy. I can't make good art because I'm, <laughs> I'm right. You're not Taylor Swifting it. <laughs> I've got, I got almost all facets of my life are, are pretty good. You know, mm-hmm. there's, the, I've got one missing piece and, uh, uh, you know, a couple family things, but, uh, for the most part, I'm in a good, I'm in a really good spot. I'm in a pretty good headspace. I cannot, I can write riffs. I still got, you know, that comes, that comes from a different, spot but lyrics and and some of this other stuff some of this solo things i've been working mm-hmm. on i i can only write from a, a place of deep hurt and i'm yeah. just not hurt right now yeah. and it's just like well, it's the like wow music. yeah you you're when you write i need to ask because some of the people listening may not know about your music when you write um is that really what triggers your ability to write you gotta you gotta feel pain that what you're saying to write to not to write a riff or not to write a um maybe if i write a song around um some bass parts or mm-hmm. or maybe even a guitar riff 
or something. No, not necessarily. It comes from a very visceral thing yeah, inside yeah, yeah. me. That's yeah. that's really not a problem. I can I can rock that. But if I'm trying to construct it into a song and trying to tell a story, and it's going to be personal. Yeah. If it's going to be a personal story, I can't. I just don't have the. I just don't even, it's like, I have no point to, it's not, not even necessarily, I can't come up with good. It's like, why am I, a lot of my songs are, I'm telling somebody a story. Yeah, I'm telling it's to, to somebody. It's about something. It's about an event. Um, Even the stuff that it seems like it might be about dragons and, and wizards. It's really not. It's about somebody pissed me off. You know, somebody betrayed me. Um, that's where that stuff comes from. There's a, you know, I've written a few, uh, I wouldn't necessarily, wouldn't call them love songs by any stretch, but uh, some of stuff on my acoustic uh, record I'm working on, it's, it came from a different place. And it mm-hmm. was some of the only songs I've ever written from a, from something other than loss. I guess that's a good way to put a lot of, yeah. a lot of stuff, uh, you know, so it a- comes from loss, comes from, you know, childhood and I'm hearing and something things. as you're telling me this you're telling me it has to come from the gut and the heart yeah and when you change it to the brain it becomes technical and through the motions yeah it don't mean anything yeah all right and I'm just well, too I'm just in I'm you know I'm too happy things are yeah things are going good well, you that know makes sense I mean? you know I don't technically paint happy little trees and <laughs> all that I, I like to think that I paint angry trees and pissed off rocks but you know, in thirty-five years, I've written I think three songs when I've been in, you know, that's come from a, that's been happy, yeah, you know, or even yeah. if it didn't sound, it might sound dark, but it actually came from a happy place. But everything else out of, I don't know, thirty, forty, fifty tunes that I've worked on, finished or yeah. partially done, it's it all comes from a, comes from a different spot. Interesting. I I tend to think, for me as an artist, I. I have to be in a zone, you know, I have to be in the right place. I wouldn't call it happy. Contentment is probably better. I'm one of those people that like to be alone. Um, you know, bless my wife. I mean, she just, she puts up with it. <laughs> I come home from work and she's just like starting to talk to me and I, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she slammed the door and here I am. And I feel like such a dick sometimes because I'm like, I should have asked her about her day. I, you know, Why? Why is it so important to come home from work and be in a hurry to, you know, run in the studio and make that art, you know, and I I think I have just the opposite of rut. Uh, When I'm home on the weekends, I don't make as much paint as I, or make as much art as I should. (laughs) Again, I'm putting a buffer in there now and I'm, I'm hoping after I read this book, I get a little bit more out of it and learn more about what essentialism is. I would love to be a better minimalist, but I, I know that when, when I'm not in the studio, my mind's on the studio and I build this almost like a pressure keg or a volcano of emotion of it's going to bust. And most of the time my, my shift is three thirty to midnight. Most of the time by 10 o'clock, that starts to fizzle out. I get home and all I want to do is yeah. crack a beer, go home, go to bed, whatever. Especially now I'm changing that schedule up where I'm not constantly scheduling, you know. Uh, I mean, I got to the point where I was scheduling when I was going to make tater tots, right? <coughs> Jesus, man. Um, yeah, it was, it was a life hack going wrong is what it was. And I get home and I, you know, I sometimes that, that pressure builds up and I just got to get in here and paint. And then it gets out of the schedule and it's like, I can't do it. So that I'm really excited about understanding what McCown says about, you know, building, building your essential part of your, you know, put the discipline in there and, and make it, make it work for you. That's where I want to be with it. And, you know, for anybody listening, I'm going to, I'm going to cut us off kind of early tonight for anybody listening. I, I think, it's really important that we focus on the things that matter. Uh, don't, if you're trying to be a minimalist and you find yourself failing a lot, don't think of it so much as you got to get rid of everything you own and, and, and have one thing. You know, I, I think 
I think a good minimalist is going to tell you if you're using it, it's, it's, it has value. If you're not using it, obviously you need to think about it, but, um, that plays into effect of your art, your creativity, that essentially you have the gear you need. You have the things you need. Don't go out there and expect to buy another camera or another microphone or another guitar or whatever it is you might think you need because it's just going to be more stuff that may add more noise to your life that didn't really solve a problem. It just created problems. And again, on top of the time, I mean, I could go uh, down this road quite a bit. You know, you, you build some buffer time into your schedule. You, you know, you need this downtime. You've got to have time to watch a movie. You know, my wife and I, we, we watch a movie every weekend. We make a point of it. Um, so much so that I'm kind of a nerd and I went out to Amazon and got popcorn buckets that we can wash, you know, like in the dishwasher and stuff. And, you know, it's like, I'll, so we can feel like we're in a movie theater. We have we each have our own bucket of popcorn, and we can sit and watch a movie. Right. Well, if you're not living life and and having relationships, then how are you going to reflect that? Exactly. Exactly. And that's what art is: is a reflection yeah. of life. Yeah. And if you if you need a little bit of a attention in your life, a little bit of an anger in your life, you know, find something that you can write about it. You know, in your case with music, find something. Uh, that I need to get my heart broken real good, man. I'll write, <laughs> I'll write some good stuff. Do man. we have any women listening yeah. right now? No. Um, I, I just, I, I think this is an important issue. I really do. I, I think it become, it has become easy in our society to say, Oh, I'm just in a rut, not making any art. No, you're, you're probably in that buffer time. You're probably in that moment where things just don't click right now. You're not angry enough. You're not happy enough. You're not whatever enough, you know, and, um, maybe you let the gear get in the way. Maybe you have too much stuff. Too many brushes, too many guitars, you know, you got too many things in your way preventing you from doing it. And as a couple of tips, I want to throw out a couple of tips here. If you're in a rut, I think you should minimalize your gear. Uh, whatever it is you typically use on a given day uh, for a painter, if you normally use 13 colors, try six, try five, you know less than four is probably going to be really difficult for you, but uh, you know, just choose, choose a a primary color, maybe another primary color, black and white and let it go. You try that. If you're an oil painter, I know that works out pretty good. Pretty limited palette. Look at the Zorn palette. If you're a painter, Um, it's a pretty good minimalist palette to make you work. Um, Choose a couple brushes. If you're a guitar player, uh, grab that one guitar, you know, uh, tune it to whatever key you like working in the most and uh, go from there. Drop, drop C, D, standard tuning, whatever, whatever floats your boat, twirls your beanie, whatever. I'm a drummer. I don't really care. Just give me a beat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that's kind of that. Um, another tip would be to make sure you have your gear where you need it, you know, have it out, have it in a place where it makes sense. Uh, if you're like me, I still like to put my toys away at the end of the night. Uh, so believe it or not, when I set my computer up and my podcasting gear, like we have right now, all this stuff gets put away when I'm finished. The computer goes in a, uh, a backpack, the hard drives go in a backpack, the Bluetooth keyboard, mouse, all that jazz, it gets put aside where it's out of my way and uh, I can literally work out of my backpack if I have to. Uh, I'd have to drag along a couple stands for mics and all that, but you know, this podcast could be done anywhere. So limit what you have and make sure you have the things you need in the places they belong. So those are my two big tips. Do you have Paul, do you have any tips for people trying to get out of a rut? Get out of your own way. Ooh, Just get out of your own yeah. ways. That's kind of what you're talking about. Set the stage to have as many, make, to make it as easy for you as possible. And yeah, if you got to go digging around for things, it's, it's just going to slow you down. Yep. So, yep. and you know, go out and get your heart broken and that'll get <laughs> you out of your rut. No. <laughs> 
Yeah, we don't want to be too serious today. We, you know, it's our I thing. also find in music it's it's interesting. If you if you're like me, I like to use a lot of open strings. If if I'm doing that over and over again, which I kind of am right now, yeah. I'll try doing different positions on the neck and and instead of having that open E, I'll do yeah. you know, I'll yeah. play the fifth fret on, you know, the B string or something, yeah. you know, and just Absolutely. try something different yeah. and get get me out of that get my hands moving in a different different way, yeah. get different tones uh, that way. So that's cool. that's a really easy way to play something you know in a different in a different position, you oh, know, without oh. using any opening strings. It's it's pretty open strings. It's uh it's pretty good exercise. How about changing your environment? Getting out of your comfort zone. I think getting out of your comfort zone is a big one. Oh, yeah. I, um maybe your maybe your rut is because you're uh, I don't know. You're craving experiences, maybe, and you just don't have it. So go on a vacation, take a road trip, go do something, do something you haven't done. Go to the mall and lay down and see what people do. Yeah, <laughs> performance art's a great thing. Flash mob, you know. Yeah, yeah. be in the be in the uh, the fountain at the what not a movie. It's happening with you. <laughs> Anyway, I hope you got something out of this episode of uh, the All Walks of Art. And uh, if you want to learn more about me and Paul and the things we do, you can find us on allwalksofart.simplecast.fm. Uh, I want to say, oh, I actually want to thank Simplecast at this point. They are a fantastic host. Uh, they've come up with some really good things for people. We can we can look at. Um, analytics and we can we can see where we're doing well where we're doing bad and uh, i i know that we have a few hundred people that listen to the podcast every week and um, it drops off when we don't do it i understand that but uh, i am very thankful for each and every person listening to the podcast i love that you let me in your ear holes it's It's awesome pretty cool so i never thought of myself as somebody who could sit and talk for an hour at a time about art uh, but I really do enjoy it. I enjoy Paul's company and I really enjoy everybody listening. So grab yourself a drink, relax a little bit and ponder some of the things we talked about tonight. We'll see you. See you, Paul. <laughs>